Um, it's good to see everyone tonight. I'd like to welcome those who are watching online. And I just realized that since these videos are uploaded to YouTube, you can watch them, you know. So for those of you in the future that are watching, welcome. <laughs> so we have both people that are listening online and, and that you can watch these, you know, as we move on. Um, it's good to see you guys here tonight. I, I, I think you know how I feel about Bible study. I love Bible study. And, and not just... I mean, obviously, we're studying the Bible is amazing, but it's just the intimacy and the coziness and the comfort of going to a Bible study where there's food and fellowship and spiritual food. Um, and I just, it harkens me back to a day, if I could just reminisce a little bit, but when I was a very young child, I, uh, I remember my parents would go to Bible study, and it would be in homes. And, and I remember I would get trapped in the Florida room. They'd close the sliding glass doors, and I would be watching, you know, Mork and Mindy or Gilligan's Island or something. And, then, and I could always see in, and, and I knew when it was time, when, when the Bibles began to close, I would get brownies <laughs> and, or, or whatever delicious foods they would have. And, but those are my memories as a child of I loved going to Bible study. And I would, sometimes I'd get to sit in and listen a little bit, and there would be some heated discussions, and there would be some, you know, uh, good study. But... It just, this is ingrained in me, and I love Bible study. And I so appreciate um, Erlene and Ani, and I know Vicki, you, you assist sometimes, but, but and, and of course Shelby, I, especially at Stormgrove, you really pulled your weight there. Um, but that daily serve, that's a gift, a gift of hospitality. I know, uh, you know, uh, Lou here has a gift of hospitality. I don't, I've never seen her walk in the door without food. And so I, I just think that between what you got, Arlene, what you do every week, and Ani assisting, and Vic, everybody, it's just, um, I just want to thank you guys for what you're doing, and it's just an incredible part of being the body of Christ, and it's an invaluable thing that we all do. It's, we're all, we all have different roles as the body of Christ, so um, I just, I love it, and, I, I just, and there's some really good food over there. I saw some, what cookies are those tonight? She's just laughing. I don't know. They look like snickerdoodles to me, but I don't know. Um, they're really okay. Well, they're really good apparently. So, anyway, um, boy, did I get off track. I, I would like to say just just to again um, talking about a few things. Just housekeeping. I know you guys get get, the, get you're on the front lines and you get to hear about things first. Um, uh, we will have a celebration of life for Bill. Uh, it's coming up. It'll be on the 23rd of this month. That's on a Saturday. It's going to be at 1.30. And so we're all looking forward to that. And it's going to be at Storm Grove. It's where Jackie wanted it to be. And so we'll have a time of uh, some worship and, and have a, a wonderful, and I'm sure there'll be slides and his family will be there. So, uh, and that'll be at 1.30. Um, and then I think there's still, uh, for Kay, there's still something in, a, in the works, Celebration of Life. I, I believe it's going to be here, not in this room, but in this church. And so all the more details to follow. But those are the two things that I know about. Um, also be in prayer. We have three, three new uh, babies coming into our congregation. So within the next month or two weeks, would you say? Four weeks. Four weeks, yeah. So, so there's three uh, young ladies in our church that are uh, going to be having young babies. Well, of course, they're young. They're babies. But uh, anyway, so kind of excited about that. So I know that um, Katie, Tara, your, your niece, is that correct? Yeah, is she close? Yeah, we hope so. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, Pastor due date. All right. So uh, we're excited about that. Um, are there any prayer requests that I maybe are not aware of that anyone? Know? Let's keep in mind Shirley Morgan. I think today's a Wednesday, so she's had her another round of chemo. It's been heavy on her. And uh, how long? How long does she go with this? Middle of August. Okay. Radiation. Okay. Yeah. Let's keep Shirley Morgan in our prayers. If you're writing these things down, so. Um, well, let's go ahead and. Yeah. Oh, hey. By the way. By the way, it's so nice to see Frank here. Frank. You know. Yay. I mean, you had you had a heart attack. Praise God. Yeah. Frank is back and he's doing fine. So, were you watching last week? Because I, I called you out on it. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's good to see you, Frank. God is, God is amazing. So, is that right? Recuperating day. So you probably weren't online. You're probably resting. Yeah, yeah. Well, praise God. Um, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Let's bring these things to him and, uh, and ask him to uh, illuminate the text for us tonight. <laughs> Father God, we, um, we thank you so much for allowing us to all be here this evening. I know that uh, a lot of people are traveling. Um, uh, and Lord, we ask that your uh, hand of protection will be on them. I, we know the entire Semstrat clan is traveling uh, today up to Georgia, um, and so we just ask for your, uh, your, again, your hand of protection on them, and, and uh, Lord, I know it's going to be a, a wild vacation for them, but Lord, I pray that they'll have a, a great time and try to get a bit of rest in, Lord, and I, uh, just anybody else who is traveling, we have a lot of families that are out, Lord, and uh, we just want to lift them up to you as well. Father, we pray for um, these three uh, uh, preborns that are getting ready to be, to come into this world, Father, we pray that things go smoothly for each one of them. Lord, and I, I just pray that your hand will be on, on those mothers. Um, and Lord, as we uh, get into the scriptures tonight, we want to, first and foremost, we want to pray that uh, you will your Holy Spirit will illuminate this text for us. And uh, even though it's, it's just an interesting passage, Father, but there are th certain things that we can learn, and we're hoping to learn those things of you tonight. In your name we pray, Father. Amen. Well, tonight is, uh, what I want to do is just kind of give you an overview uh, it looks like most people were here. Frank, I don't think you were here last week, but there, and a couple of people, maybe Peggy. But um, uh, last week, we, we, we kind of cut the chapter in half. Chapter 14 was, uh, if you want to kind of look at it, in, it's, you've got the division between the north and the south. Last week, we talked about the north and how heinous everything that Jeroboam did was. And if you if kind of glance back at, at chapter 14, uh, the, uh, there was a prophecy against Jeroboam. And that came true. His son died. There were three judgments that came to be on the house of Jeroboam. And uh, as we go through the text over the next several weeks, uh, I believe Pastor Greg will obviously be back next week, or no, the following week. But um, uh, we'll see that these, these, these uh, judgments will come to pass. And so that's sort of what we went through. But it was really more of a focus on what was happening in Israel, the northern kingdom. And, uh, but tonight, um, it, it's almost like, if you can imagine a news reporter Going, okay, and, and kind of picturing, okay, and the, here we have in the north, we've got uh, this going on and this going on, and, uh, and then, you know, for, the, for a report in the south, let's go to you, Bill, and then they kind of go down to another reporter down in the south and is going to give us the entire, and these things are happening concurrently at the same time. So these are just, it's just a, a, a report from the north and a report from the south. And so tonight, uh, we're going to be looking at the report from uh, from the south. It, you know, I always try to look at the major theme of what we're talking about uh, of the passage, and there's a couple of themes again tonight. Uh, some scriptures uh, that we go through in some studies, there's something very specific that, we, that, that you know, kind of just, like, just knocks it out of the ballpark. And then there's other times, like tonight, where there's not necessarily something, a direct theme, as much as there are things that we learn about the quality and character of God and who He is. And when we know those things, then that informs us about God, and it changes our affections, and it changes our, uh, the, where we put God in our lives and the position that we have God in. So the more we know about God's attributes, the more we are able to rest in His sovereignty, and to rest in His love, and to rest and know that He is just, and all of those attributes that He has, which are endless. And so tonight, um, a couple of things. Uh, in spite of man, what, the first thing, if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look for in this, in this text tonight is that in spite of man, God still has his way. He still has his plan in spite of man. The second thing um, is really uh, how, how specifically a wholly devoted, remember that word H-W-O-L-L-Y, a fully devoted king, how a king like that actually is a king. Like what he demonstrates and what he does to actually show that he is his heart is fully given to God. And we actually have a bright moment in this, in this text tonight. As we get into chapter 15, there's actually a good king coming, like a good one. And so that's, that's hard. You know, we wonder because it's been, oh, it's just been dark. You know, I, I was talking to someone last week and they, they were just talking about how discouraging it is sometimes when we see the things that we see in the news and the things that are going on within maybe the school systems and the, what's happening with what we're being asked to celebrate, sin and those things, and how, we're, how are we to get a grip on all of this? And how are we to, to get an understanding of how should we pray? 
Should we pray precatory prayers, which are prayers of curses, which were actually occurred in the Bible? Really, mainly David did quite, there were quite a few in the Psalms. But so we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that and just how, how we can wrestle with being informed with what happened in the past and how we can actually bring it to today and, and get an understanding of how we should pray. You know, and, and so do we pray curses on our leaders? Well, we'll talk about these things a little bit. So, um, so let's go ahead and, and uh, kind of, again, I want to give you, um, I always like to divide the, the text into sections, and I think we're going to get through this, these particular sections tonight. So if you want to just make notations on the three major events that are taking place, I think we'll cover all three, is in chapter 14, we're going to conclude 14, so 14 verses 21 to 31, and that's going to be addressing Rehoboam, which is in Judah, which is in the southern kingdom, okay? And the title of that little section is Beyond the Sins of Their Fathers, okay? So 14, 21 to 31 deals with Rehoboam and Beyond the Sins of Their Fathers. The next little section we're going to talk about tonight is chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. And that's going to be the account of Rehoboam's son, okay? And that's Abijam, okay? And you can, you'll see the name in there if you want to write that down. And then the little section, the little sort of title of that section is God's promise in spite of, dot, 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 okay? And then the third section tonight, the third little passage we're going to hopefully get to is chapter 15, verses 9 through 15. So chapter 15, 9 through 15, and that deals with Asa. Asa is Abijam's son. So we're going through three generations here, okay? And then the little title for that section, if you're taking notes on Asa, is he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And boy, do I love to hear that. Finally, we get to someone like that, which is wonderful because it's been trudgery getting through these things, so... Um, so those are the three main sections tonight that we're going to kind of work our way through. Um, so as always, let's kind of just go to the text. If, you, um, if your Bibles aren't open, obviously we're going to be in chapter 14. And we're going to begin tonight in verse 21. And I'll just kind of read through here, and then we're going to stop at certain points where we bring out certain things that are, that are I think, that, are, uh, that the, the text kind of highlights here. So it, it begins, uh, Now Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon right? Reigned in Judah. This is the southern kingdom. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. Now, let me kind of pause right there, because as we, as we come into this uh, passage, we're going to see some really, really ugly things. Ugly things. Things that would, if they were occurring today, we would throw our hands in the air and ask, why has God not just start out, why didn't you just wipe, wipe clean at this point? Why didn't you just give another flood? You know, just because we're going to see some things that are just terrible in God's chosen region and land in Judah and Jerusalem. So, um, so, uh, so as you look at the numbers here, basically it's a 17 year reign of Rehoboam. That's four presidential terms that we have now, right? Approximately if it's four years per. So imagine going through four presidential terms in absolute and utter depravity. And so that's kind of gives you a perspective on what it would be like in this day and age if we were stuck in a leadership of that long. Because fortunately, we've had fairly decent presidents over the years, and right now we're in one that is, he's rejected. Yeah, right, exactly. We've had, uh, but the one right now is, is currently, he rejects uh, the God of the Bible, in, in my opinion, based on everything he does and says. And so right now we're in that four-year period of, of these trials that we see, but this is a 17-year period. Now, there were other times, and there's going to be times in the future that are even longer, but I'm at, just, just so you understand, 17 years of what's going to take place here tonight. So let's continue forward. Now, this talks about Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. Do, if you're highlighting anything tonight or you want to underline something, that's something important right there. Okay, because that's, that's, a, that's a, a recurring theme and concept restating that this Jerusalem and this, this, the tribe of Judah is the Lord's chosen place. And it, it's not there for, for, for no reason. It's there for a reason. So, and because we're going to see that in the next chapter as we, as we go in, you'll see it tonight, in fact. So that's very important that that's there. And then it talk, goes on, continue on, uh, uh, his, his mother's name 
was Namah the Ammonite. And Judah, now here's, let me pause right there, right at the beginning of verse 22 here. This is not all about Rehoboam. This is really, when we look at this carefully, not even carefully, just looking at it at face value, it says Judah. That means the nation. So this isn't necessarily just that Rehoboam was an evil king or he did evil things. This is an evil nation or an entire nation that was responsible for this, not just one king and a couple of outliers or his, his one king and his you know, cronies. This is the nation was turned at this point, 17 years into this, right, has gone actually downhill. So we're, we're talking about the whole nation tonight, just to make it clear. So it says here, and Judah, which is the nation, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy. We've seen that before, that God is a jealous God. We talked about that last week. And for good reason, again, when we, when we kind of get into what, we're, what's, what they were doing, it's hard to believe that that's all, that's all that was stated, that it provoked him to jealousy. Like, I would think provoked him to <laughs> annihilation, you know, and just wiping things out. But it did provoke the Lord to jealousy, which is the, the God is a jealous God. With their sins that they committed more than all their fathers had done. So that's kind of where we get the little title to this particular segment, is more than all their fathers had done. So Solomon was bad, yes. He, he turned his heart away, and he, 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 was, he was idolatrous, and he did all these things, and he aided and abetted. But this guy, his son, did things worse than all anybody before him. And so here's, we're going to kind of go into this a little bit, and I'm going to talk about what's going on. Just when you didn't think it could get any worse, so let's look and see what he actually did. Okay, so it says, for they, then this is meaning, obviously, the nation, for they also built for themselves high places, right? That's the, that's the, 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 the mound areas that are for pagan worship, and pillars. Now, we, if we stop right there, pillars, uh, these are basically going to be, pillars are, they refer to Canaanite pagan symbols, Okay, and, and, and it's going to get a little dark here, but they're, I don't, I'm not going to describe what they were, but let's kind of move on. And Asherim, Asherim is, was, a, was a Canaanite, uh, was a goddess that they worshipped, and Asherim is a, uh, uh, they, they, built, they built certain idols that represented um, this female, that's the female version here, on every high hill and under every green tree. Now, let's pause right there. Let's stop at verse 23. Basically, that means they were everywhere. So this, this nation that God has selected and pulled apart was rampant with pagan worship, okay? So I, I can see it from everyone's faces. We're like, okay, move on with this. Okay, we get it. So, so pagan. Now, if you, if you continue on, it's like, oh, that wasn't bad enough. Look at verse 24 here. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that drove out, that, that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. So I just want to stop right there and, and make it really clear what was happening here. When it says the male prostitutes, this is both homosexual and heterosexual. And it's not only, it's not, not bad enough that they were in the land, but they just weren't walking around in the land. They were part of the worship ceremony. You want to talk about pagan worship. Right? So, and so these male prostitutes were both heterosexual and homosexual. A lot of the references go back and just go to all the references to homosexuality in the Bible. But it was a part of Canaanite worship, pagan worship that was for fertility in the land. So they were clearly not, were they not trusting God, but they were also worshiping the Asherim, the Asherah God, and they were also having these just absolutely horrific practices. Uh, for four thing, for three things, this is a practice of fertility for the nation for the nation of Judah, for the people, for the crops, and for the flocks. And so that's basically what was happening. They were they were just having these horrific events, and and I'm not going to go into that much detail, but you get what I'm saying. How far can you? How low can you go? And how far can you deviate from what was? just a few years prior with King Solomon, and how, how depraved can you get in the, the nation that was supposed to be, uh, that is really truly still was God selected. So uh, we see how dark and evil that was, and makes you wonder at this point, why did he not just wipe them out? Why was he so gracious and, 
and just kept it going. Well, we'll kind of, as we move along, we'll see, but it's just, just want to show you the abomination that was occurring there. So it, again, it's one thing to be evil, but to, to have evil and worship, that's, that's a whole nother level. So uh, let's move on from there. Let's, let's look at verse 25 here. Because here's the problem. Here's where the judgment comes in. So the Lord had had enough. It says up here in, that it provoked him to jealousy. So here's what happened. It says, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shikshak, Shikshak, no, Shishak, how do they say that? Shishak, who knows how to say some of these names? A shy shake and I don't know. I, who, who, yeah, sh that sounds like a place you get steak and burgers and shakes, doesn't it? Like quick snack, Shikshak, steak and shake. Uh, okay, so basically, king of Egypt, all right? You know where Egypt is. Came up against Jerusalem. Now, we don't know whether he, um, they, they just came and pummeled the land, or they came and threatened to pummel the land, but what occurred after this is a result of their invasion and intrusion. So this is part of the judgment that God brings on. So let's continue reading. Uh, he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. Now, what treasures were those? Who acquired and amassed all those? King Solomon. This is the, the, the greatest amount of wealth. So you wonder where all the gold comes in from in Egypt on these pyramids. Well, it could be part of this, what happened here. And so all of King uh, Solomon's wealth and all the gold and all the treasures were pillaged and taken completely away from the house of Judah. And they went through the, the, all the different regions. So here's an interesting thing here, though. Look at this. It says, he took away everything. He also took away the shields of gold that Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their place shields of bronze, committed them to the hands of the officers of the guard who kept the, the door of the king's house. Now, there's something traditional that was done. Uh, it's in just the, in the manner of how they operated in, the, in the, the house. And so, but what an interesting decline that sin will bring. Going from the, the, the most beautiful gold and gilded and treasures, but the shields especially were very significant. And they, they took those and all they could muster up is, uh, is bronze, which would eventually tarnish. And it was like sort of like a, like, a, like a dollar store type of, you know, something compared to maybe something really nice that, you know, it's just like, like almost like an imitation or something that a shadow maybe of what it was originally. And so that's how, that's how, that's what sin does. It takes away the, the perfection and the beauty of God. And that's what Satan does, actually. Uh, he, he always, he, he can't create anything. And I know Greg has spoken about this before, but he will create, he doesn't create, he, he, he uses things that are like copies, that are sort of fakes, you know, fake worship as opposed to real worship and, and uh, fake uh, prophecies instead of real prophecies and all those things. It's always just a, he can't create, so it's just a simple copy. So the representation here of these, the, specifically these gold shields being taken away and all that they could muster up was just bronze shields. And bronze was, was simply just a tool, metal. It was just for battle and things like that. It wasn't for the glimmer and glory that it once was. And so I think there's a lot of symbolism there that, that God removed any bit of um, beauty and, and, uh, and favor from the house of Judah at that point. And so there's, there's the judgment that occurred right there. It says that in verse 28, as, this, as, the, as, often as, the, and as often as the king went into the house of the Lord, the guard carried them and brought them back to the guard room. What a daily reminder that is, right? A daily reminder, because it, it happened all the time, right? So verse 29 says, Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did are they not written in the book of Chronicles and the kings of Judah? And again, we have, remember last week, what is your legacy? What was his legacy? What a horrible legacy. All these acts and things he did, you know, were in vain again. And not only were they in vain, but they, who would want to be remembered like that? Just to be that evil of a, of a, of a, a leader. And then it says in verse 30, there's a, and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam continually. And that was actually predicted uh, in the previous chapter. That was one of the judgments. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Lucky for him. He should have been buried somewhere else, in my opinion. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite, and, and Ab Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. So we move to the next little act, right? Here comes Abijam. He's the son of Rehoboam. 
Now, hope we're kind of crossing our fingers and, and wringing our hands, hoping, well, maybe something good will happen from here. Well, don't hold your breath. Let's go ahead and begin and look at in chapter 15. Let's just kind of read, read through it here. Now, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign. This is the, obviously the, the year after uh, Rehoboam was done. And he's in Judah, which is the south. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. That's it. Three years. No more, no less. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he, what did he do? Good grief. He walked in all the sins that his father did before him. So you have to figure that, don't they ever learn? Like they just had Egypt come in and pummel in the fourth or fifth year of the reign, take everything away. Now they're living in, a, in complete, I don't want to say poverty, but they were, everything was gone. And you would think that maybe there'd be a, an inkling of like, maybe we should do something different. Maybe, uh, no. So <laughs> he, it says right here, he did all the sins that his father did before him. That means that all the things, and we're going to see this in the next chapter, all the things remained, the cult prostitutes, the male cult prostitutes, all of the Canaanite worship, the false worship, the pagan worship, all of the pillars and all of the ashram that were all over the landscape, those all continued on. And so, and then here's, here's where it gets, we've heard this before, and, he, uh, and his heart was not what? Was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was whose? Remember, David. There he is again, right? That, that gold standard that we keep measuring everything against, right? And here's where, here's where, in this, this remember I told you at the very beginning, we're in, we're in a second little section here, and I said God's promise in spite of. Here's the promise in spite of, right? Even though this is pure evil, and God is judging them, and or has judged them, here's, look at this word. It says in my text, it says, nevertheless, right? Nevertheless, for, for whose sake, David's sake, the Lord God gave, up, or gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem. That is God's faithful promise to David. And when it says a lamp, that's a, that's a symbolic thing. A lamp simply means uh, it, it is a, it's, it's the promise of someone's life that's going to remain there. And that's what that is. So in spite of Rehoboam and in spite of the son still doing all this stuff, yet there is still, because God is sovereign and God had a plan. And it wasn't, it, maybe it was partly because of, the, of David and how David's heart was affectionate, but it really was God's promise and he stuck to it. And I think there's something in that we know that that's one of the attributes of God. He's immutable, he's unchangeable. And when he has a promise or makes a covenant, that's for real. It's, 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 so we, can, we see this because we know we can bank on anything we see in the Bible. Any promise that Christ has made or God has made is, will come true and, and should come true. Uh, because even here with all this mess going on, yet there was still a lamp. And he still held to his promise that that's where the seed of David would come from, right? So that, that's, I think it's just a, it's a beautiful, it's a steadfast promise. In fact, let me read something uh, from Dale Ralph Davis. He talks about this, this particular event here. He says, but the kingdom remains, not because man obeys, but because God has decided. Why don't the kingdom, why don't the kingdom and people of God vanish into the mists of history? Because God will not permit it. He has decided that his kingdom will come. Grace is not only greater, but more stubborn than our sins. Wow, what an application that is. Um, so, you know, we've talked about this when we, when we started teaching a few weeks back about God's plan will go forward. He is sovereign, regardless if man, is, man fails, man falls to the ground, man bumbles things, or man does well, God's plan will go forward. And I think it's kind of been pounded in. And why are these things pounded in so much? I always wonder when I look at these passages and, and we see the evil and we, we look at why these things happened and, and, and what we can learn from this, there are attributes of God that we do learn through this. We know he's steadfast, but he keeps his promises, his plan will go forward. But it does make you wonder, like, what was going on? Was there a remnant in Judah that was praying? 
Now, when it says all of Judah was sinning and doing these things, man, really everybody? And I just, I, and I know this is not necessarily, I've got, I'm walking on carefully right now because I'm, I'm doing a little bit of eisegetical stuff. I'm, I'm kind of thinking on my own, but I always wonder in, in, the, in, the, in the nation of Judah, while these things were happening over, well, 17 years, then another three years, what, was there a remnant praying? Was there a remnant that was still faithful to God? You know, I believe there was. And, and, I, and I think now that wasn't necessarily the reason that God held this. God held this because he promised he would. That's the real reason from the text. But it just makes you think with all this going on, what is, what, were there people praying? Was there still a remnant of, of faithful people in this? And I, I believe there were just based on kind of what we know about some of the other, as we move forward, we'll see. But I, I just found that was pretty interesting. I think that it's important to... Again, we kind of go back to that conversation about that what's going on politically now and what and what's going on in the nation. And it almost seems if you were to actually look at the news, especially one of the maybe more liberal news uh, feeds, you would almost think that the whole nation is given to perverseness. The whole nation is affirming, uh, you know, trans trans. Uh, I don't even remember the word now, the trans movement, transgender movement, um, you would think that the whole world is, is, uh, is just living in sin. But there, uh, there is a remnant, and it's the church. The church will go forward. The church will not be moved. The gates of hell will not prevail. So we do have to understand that, that while we see things, and even on some of the conservative uh, uh, you know, news stories and things, it seems at times that the whole world is in chaos. And every, but we do see good things like the overturning of Roe versus Wade. It makes you wonder if, if, well, we know it's in God's plan, but you know, are our prayers working? Is this part of God's plan? And, and I think it's, we're, some people have, have, I've talked to people before and they're like, well, if God's will and he's sovereign, then why should we even pray? You know, they'll say that, you know? And it's like, well, well I, I, to your point, I, I kind of see what you're saying. But we pray because we're commanded to pray, right? That's why we pray. We pray because not that we can change God's mind, but who knows if our prayers aren't part of his plan. In fact, I know they are, right? And so, yeah, there's no thinking about it. And there's often times where there's some Q&As. I like to watch Q&As. If God, da-da-da-da, no, it's since God, da-da-da-da, right? And so, um, so I think even as we kind of wade through this text and it's difficult to look at and, and you can't imagine the abomination that's occurring. We think it's bad now what we're seeing, which it is, relatively speaking, but imagine that. Imagine living in that and being part of the remnant there. What, how would they pray, you know, what, with seeing what they were seeing? Um, but uh, it matters. It does matter that we pray and that we are steadfast. And, and it's not the whole nation that is that you that people would on the news would make this nation out to be. There's still a, there's still a church and there's still godly people. Um, should we just throw our hands up in the air and give up and say, oh, it's all in God's plan? No, we need to pray against things. We need to fight against things. Now, back to the, uh, what I said before, it's a strange word and I hope I'm saying it right, but there's something called the imprecatory psalms or songs. It's where David, and that, that's to, to imprecate is to simply pray a curse on something. And David did that quite a bit in Scripture. In fact, if you turn to, this, this, is, this is unplanned, okay? So this is, but I did look at it earlier, but I'm, I don't have it marked. Go to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Because I think it's important to understand how we need to respond to the world. I'm going to try. I-M-P-R-E-C-A-T-O-R-Y. Maybe, Deb, you could check that for me. Imprecatory? It sounds like I made it up, doesn't it? Ani's laughing at me. I'm pretty sure it's a word. Oh, okay. Is it imprecatory? Are you still on the draw? Are you going to look it up for me? Okay. <laughs> All right. Never mind. Okay. What we see here in Psalm 69 is David basically praying for the death and for the stumbling and for the torment of his enemies, right? And so people go, well, in fact, let's look at some of these. Let's look at verse um, 21. They gave me poison for food, and, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. 
let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let them become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. That's like Elvis. Pour out your indignation on them and, and let your burning anger overtake them. May there can't be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents for, when, for they persecute him who, have struck you, who you have struck down and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to their punishment upon punishment that they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Now it continues on. And then David simply goes on to say, you will sustain me. You will sustain Zion. You will sustain Judah. So what do we make of those passages? Is that how we're supposed to pray for these, for the, the horrendous things, for the people that are indoctrinating our children? for the people that are celebrating things and asking us to celebrate things that we know are sinful. Now, some of these Psalms, some of these, again, imprecatory, it is a word, thank you. Um, but these are basically, uh, sometimes they are prophecies of things that will occur later on. Uh, now, there, I love John Piper. He says there's four, and this, this ties in, trust me, I'm not going on too much of an of a airplane ride here, but there's four basically people that we can categorize in the world. You have your enemy, enemies within the church and friends within the church. You have your enemies in the world and you have your friends in the world, right? Pretty clear, pretty understandable. The enemies in the church would be people that are trying to undermine, that are trying to bring a false gospel, that are trying to be divisive. Those are enemies in the church and they need to be dealt with in, in a disciplinary manner. We have friends in the church that are all in agreement. And then we have friends in the world who they're not necessary believers yet, but they aren't antagonistic against the church. And then we have enemies in the world who are anti-church. They're anti everything that God designed. And so when we look at those people, we kind of have to go to the New Testament. So the Old Testament is true, but we have to understand the context of things. And so I think he was, when I listened to a, bit, a little bit of what he was saying, but we are commanded to pray for our enemies and we are commanded to love our enemies. There's no getting around that, right? But there's, I have no problem, and I don't think the text has any problem praying against the things that come up against the Lord. Lord, let your day come. Let your, let, you know, let your kingdom come. Your will be done. And so I think that's the right mode to have. I'd love to be able to pray like David and, you know, dear Lord, please wipe out the left wing of the West Wing of the White House. Or Lord, let, you know, I, I don't mean that if anybody's FBI is watching, but you know, um, but, but you know, I like to pray those things. Let the people that the school boards that are shoving things down these, these children's in the books, like let those people come to judgment. Let them, you know, let the person that pulled out in front of me, Lord, just smite them, you know, but that's not how we're to do it. And it's, and, it, and we really want to, I think that's part of really our flesh because they're not necessarily offending. I mean, they are offending us. But we could take, if it was just an offense of us, they're offending our Lord. And I think that's where the division comes. That's where the line is drawn. Yes, we're to love them and we're to pray for them. But when they are doing things that come up against uh, the, our Lord Jesus Christ and, and God that we love and know, that's when I think we need to begin our prayers. Our prayers change a bit. But with, with the intent of, first of all, we need to love them, but Lord, bring them to repentance, right? Bring them to repentance and let them truly uh, get an understanding. And if not, it's not in your plan, they're not part of the elect, then judge them. Lord, come quickly, you know? And I think we, every time we walk around, we see things we're like, oh, Lord, come quickly. What we're really saying is thy kingdom come, thy will be done quickly now. You know, how much longer will this go? And so there's my rabbit trail from the night. So, but I think it's important because, because I can just imagine being in this particular era of this time that was so horrendous and wondering what the, what the, there were had to be some and how they would pray and what they would say. And well, we see that perhaps uh, things are going to happen. So let's quickly kind of get through here. Um, uh, Nevertheless, for David's, so the lamp in Jerusalem, this is verse four here, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem because David did, here's David again, God bless him. David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded all the days of his life. This is interesting here. Except the matter of Uriah the Hittite. That's interesting. 
And we know that was a heinous crime, a heinous event, everything that occurred with that. And yet, uh, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord shown, uh, had a lamp for David, uh, uh, had an affection for David. He was a gold standard. So there's a lot to unpack right in there, just uh, knowing that, um, especially now with the, under the new covenant is what we're under. You know, we were just talking just before about, you know, that we are of Christ. We are saved. He saved us. We're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from, and our sins have been forgiven. And at the same time, we carry that flesh around with us, right? We're not perfect and we will not be. I don't affirm the people that think they can achieve sanct- a, pure, a pure glory here on earth, or they think they can be fully sanctified and sinless. That's not true. That just doesn't happen. Uh, so we will be wrestling. Now, hopefully, as we move forward in our lives and we become older and we become more sanctified or separated, was what that means, that we begin to sin less and the Holy Spirit reveals to us things that, are, uh, that we should not be doing. I think that, but it does say that we still will sin and we are to confess our sins because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. So in looking at that, it was just interesting that as I see that it's, it's, I don't know if it's comforting, but to know that someone that God set as the gold standard still had some um, issues. And we'll also see as we jump into this real quick about Asa, that he, there's a parallel here. So I just thought that was an interesting little, uh, the way it was written there except for the matter of Uriah the Hippop. Now, there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. The rest of the acts of Abijam and all that he did, they are, are they not written in the book of Chronicles, the kings of Judah? And there was war between Abijam and Jeroboam. So Jeroboam continued on. Abijam was a real quickly in there for three years. And Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. So I'm just going to, what we're going to do here is there's in chapter 15, as we move on, there's two major events with King Asa. And he's the good one, by the way. Here we are at last. He had, he, he, he showed what he, why he was a good king with his heart after the Lord. He did some things. And then there's a little, little bit of a political thing that happened. And in, in so that happens from 16 on. So we're just going to cover tonight as we, as we kind of we're not wrapping up, but I just want to kind of get through this one part here. So let's just kind of, with a collective sigh of relief, let's look in chapter, uh, verse 9 here. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa began to reign over Judah. And Asa is Abijam's son. And he reigned 41 years. That's encouraging. 41 years in Jerusalem. His mother was named Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David his father had done. Pause right there. Yay! We shall be rejoicing. So actually, in all this craziness, here comes the, uh, well, it would have been, let's see. So Solomon, and then Rehoboam, and then Abijam. So it was like, what, what, great, great, great grandson, right? Finally, finally uh, does, and, and for 41 years. So super happy. Now, what did he do here? How did he show that his heart was fully and wholly towards the God? Well, there's five things. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at five things here, starting in verse 12. Number one, he put away the male cult prostitutes out of the land. That's number one. Number two, and he removed all the idols that his fathers had made. That's number two. Number three. He also removed Makkah, his mother, queen mother, from being queen mother. Oh, it does say that. I I thought that was, okay. From being queen mother, whatever that is, because she had made an abominable abominable image for Asherah. Now, let's just just to remind you, Asherah is the, the goddess, the pagan goddess of fertility. And there was some, they made these disgusting sculptures all around. He took it down. So that's the third thing he did. Uh, and Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook of Kidron. Now, here's the interesting part. Remember what we just read about David? And it said he was, he said he was, uh, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. As we kind of look through, look at verse 14 here. But the high places were not taken away. I just want to pause right there. Because he wasn't 100% perfect, but 
He didn't have to be. He did hit because the Lord knew that his heart was in the right place. He was working wholly for the Lord. Even though he didn't finally complete every single task, there's just a little caveat there, just as David did not. So there's sort of a parallel thing going on. It talks about how David was, but, but he almost got it right. And then it talks about Asa. He did everything, but he almost, just one, one thing he didn't do. So let's move on to the fifth thing. It says, well, actually, after it says, no, I'm sorry, let's back up. I'm going too fast. I'm getting excited. Verse 14, but the high places were not taken away. Nevertheless, didn't we already see that? Yeah. In verse four, nevertheless, nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. And here's the fifth thing. Here's the, here's the positive thing. And he brought into the house of the Lord, God, he brought into the house of the Lord, the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver, gold, and the vessels. So he's basically repopulating into the temple, into the house of the Lord. The, the, maybe it wasn't quite up to Solomon's gold and Solomon's treasures, but he brought in, he was beginning to repopulate with, with things that were uh, of beauty that the Lord had, had given. So, um, so, so that's kind of where, that, those, are, those, are, um, those are the main things that demonstrate why Asa was uh, a man wholly after God's heart. And we're going to stop right there tonight, I think. Five things. There were five things. Did we get them all? Let me repeat them again. So, for, uh, for, Force was uh, Asa cut down her image and burned it uh, at the brook of Kidron, the Asherim image. Yeah. And then five was that he brought, in the, the, he brought back in and repopulated with gold and treasures uh, the, the beauty that should be in the Lord's temple. That, the, that Shikshak or Shishak had taken, the Egyptians, right? So those are the things that demonstrated why he was fully and wholly given to God. So the next, the next section here, I'm going to save for next week. Um, don't check out yet, though. I've still got more to say. <laughs> the minute someone says, they're like, okay, fold the Bible up. No, don't do that. Not yet. We're not done. But that next section is really going to talk about his political endeavors. And we're going to pick that up next week and then uh, a little bit more into, the, into the, in the next section there. But just in conclusion, I always want to wrap up and just remind you and talk about uh, what we've considered tonight, what the text has said, what things we might have learned from the, uh, of God in, in this whole chapter. It's a very unique chapter, and it's, it's interesting that we can actually look in here at these events that occurred so long ago that are sometimes confusing and, and gain something from them, some knowledge from them. Uh, first thing being, uh, if you're, again, if you're, uh, in conclusion, um, uh, and we've said it a million times, but a merciful God, a gracious God that left and kept his lamp in this Jerusalem, in this area, in Judah, in spite of the evils that men did. So, Sometimes we don't know why they did what they did or what was the reason or what was the ultimate purpose, but we know that through this, God was merciful and he allowed the lamp to stay, nevertheless, right? Um, the second thing is, is really, I think, what King Asa did to demonstrate that he was holy and uh, fully given to God is that although he didn't remove the high place, which is... I'm not sure exactly why he did or didn't do, but it does say nevertheless after that. So we do know that he went in basically cleaned house. There was no stone unturned, left unturned. He went in and really just, did, he reversed every single thing that had gone on for the prior 20 years. It's a long time. And so within a, a short period of time, he comes in. Now his reign is long, but I would imagine this stuff happened pretty quickly because of his heart. So it's not that he just said he was going to do something or he... Uh, you know, it's in the budget or, or it's in the plan to do maybe in a 10-year plan or something. No, he came in and he cleaned house and he did it all right away because he was faithful to the Lord. And so I think it's important to understand that that's that when someone, um, you know, it, I don't want to draw a parallel here that's not there, but when someone comes to Christ, you know, Greg always says he doesn't, God doesn't, he catches them before he cleans them, I think he says, Pastor Greg says that. But uh, the work of sanctification in our lives is ongoing. We can't, sometimes there's an immediate change. Sometimes alcoholics and drug addicts instantly, when they are converted, they somehow for the miraculous Holy Spirit, they change things. But we all have these fleshly habits that don't necessarily happen uh, or change overnight. But, but it's important to know that they do happen. 
and there is a timeline, and they do change. So it's important to understand that to be wholly given to God, that we do set aside things. There's a reason to, to change things from the way we were into where we're going. And so I think it's important to understand. Again, just the last thing, uh, we talked about um, imprecatory. Is that how you say it? And you guys can go home for homework and just look that up. I didn't make it up, I promise. But they're, they're, in the Psalms, it's called imprecatory prayers. And it's curses against our enemies. And how are we to pray? What do we do when, when we see these things that just make us want to rage and, and shake our fist and because it's harming children and it's harming people and it's distorting God's image and it just makes me upset. It's, yeah, and, and just, just twisting things around and, and, and how are we to respond to that? Because I want, I mean, if we respond in the flesh, it would be ugly, but the Bible says we're to love our enemies, we're to pray for our enemies, right? Pray for repentance. And if our heart is there and set at that, then I think a prayer of, Lord, come fast. Do what you got to do. I don't think that's wrong. I think that might be a, a time when an imprecatory or a prayer of curse would actually be appropriate. Because you know these things. What did God say about if you, do, if you do this to one of these young children? You know, that, like, so the things that we see infuriate us. But we do need to have the right order and the right heart before we begin to pray curses on things and people, you know. It has to be within God's framework, His will, His time frame. That's how it has to happen. Amen? So there's a lot to chew on here. It's an interesting passage. I think there were some neat points, but um, uh, it was just finally neat to see a king that actually comes in and does good things and, and his heart is wholly given to God. So it's encouraging. So, um, well, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your text and uh, gaining an understanding of, first of all, just, just the timetable through the history of your nation, Lord, and, and uh, just watching what occurred and, and gaining an understanding perhaps of why you did certain things and why you allowed certain things, Lord. And Lord, through this, we, we, uh, we love to see your attributes of grace and mercy and, and steadfast promise that you gave to David uh, all the while, while these people are, are being uh, horrendous uh, heathens in their worship, Father, that you, you were steadfast, you held your promise, Lord. And, and, and one day, Father, you're, uh, that Jesus would, would come from that lineage in that particular area. And that's the big picture there, Father. Lord, help us as we uh, see things that the world is doing, Lord, that we have a right heart about uh, how we address it and how we pray for people and how we consider things and how we talk about things, Lord. It's not easy, but Lord, through your, uh, through your Holy Spirit, uh, you can give us grace and mercy, Lord, that we would otherwise just not have. Father. Go with us tonight as we get leave. Keep us all safe, Father. Bring us together uh, on Sunday to worship you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.